This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Well, welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. I'm really excited to have a rare in-person interview on the podcast today. I'm traveling in Michigan this week, and I'm honored to sit down with Brad Moore, President and CEO of MBG Marketing. As many of you know, MBG Marketing is a producer-owned blueberry cooperative that was formed in 1936 as the Michigan Blueberry Growers Association. MBG has since expanded its membership to several other states, eight I believe, and today has over 300 growers, making them the largest marketer of fresh and processed cultivated blueberries in North America. Brad, thanks so much for joining me on the Business of Blueberries. Thanks for having me, Casey. Honored to be here. Well, it has been a great day here in Michigan. We're out here for our Blueberry Experience Tour, which has got the chefs and great part of our food service program. So it's been great to have you a part of today and this week's activities out here in Michigan. It's beautiful weather. Blueberries are going crazy, but great to have you join us this week for this great event. I also want to congratulate you on your recent promotion to president and CEO of MBG. So I thought we could just start off the conversation just hearing a little bit more about your background and kind of what led you to become the president of MBG. Sure. And uh, yeah, I'm probably not the most comfortable talking about myself. I'd rather talk a lot about our our growers and our team, but I'll just tell you that, you know, I I came here 13 years ago as a, in a finance role, I became the CFO and I was very blessed to have a a mentor and Larry Ensfield that did a wonderful job leading our business for the last six or seven years. And uh, he's decided to transition into retirement and I was selected by the MBG Board of Directors to lead the business after Larry's departure, and I'm very humbled and honored with the confidence that they've put in me and our team that we have. We've got about 40 full-time employees in our Grand Junction, Michigan office. We've got a handful of folks down in Alma, Georgia, and a few others scattered throughout the country in uh, the Pacific Northwest and other areas. It's a really long-tenured staff, uh, folks that are industry veterans that do an excellent job, and I couldn't be more more humbled and honored to lead that group. Well, it's great that you've got this background and having served in the position before, and obviously a lot of industry leadership that I work with, a lot of them have been either a part of MBG or part of Nature Ripe. And I want to talk a little bit about that uh, as we go here, but a little bit more on your background. I mean, was there a before blueberries for you? Yeah. So I guess you could say I'm a reformed accountant. I mean, I went to college. I I had my undergrad at uh, the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. It's my home state. And so I worked there in public accounting for a couple of years with at the time, what was one of the big four at Arthur Anderson, and really enjoyed my experience there. And it led to various roles throughout the accounting and finance world until I ended up at uh, MBG Marketing. I was working at a 
family-owned tomato processor in central Indiana that's a leader in, in their industry, a company called Red Gold, and a, the Reichert family who were instrumental in my career, very, very forward-thinking and progressive folks. They had the most progressive workforce, perhaps, that, that I had ever seen, and I was recruited to go there, gosh, it was probably 16 or 17 years ago now, and thought I would really never leave. I mean, it was an excellent place to be, and I got a call out of the blue one day from a recruiter that was looking to uh, fill the CFO role at MBG, and it was sometime in like June or July, and in the tomato industry, they have a fresh pack season that lasts from about that time until maybe the 15th of October, whenever the first freeze typically is in Indiana and Ohio area. And, you know, I jokingly told the guy, I said, look, if you're still looking for somebody on October 15th, call me back then because I'm just not going to leave these guys in a lurch in the, the middle of their busy season. And I thought I'd never hear from them again. And, you know, you could almost set your calendar by October 15th, my phone rang and he said, Hey, are you still interested in this opportunity? And I thought, man, you know, maybe this is serendipity or I should probably get in the car and ride up to Michigan and see what's going on here. And, and we did, you know, my wife and I have been married, um, 23 years now, I guess it is. And we had a young child at the time, uh, two young children, one still in, in diapers and, we thought, man, if we're ever going to move our family and, and do something a little more permanent, maybe now's the time while these kids are at this stage of life. And we came to Michigan, and it's been the best decision that we've ever made, uh, certainly professionally and personally. It's a wonderful area to raise a family. The growers that I've had an opportunity to get to know that we represent, not only here in Michigan, but throughout the country, have been uh, just Top-notch producers, but more than that, friends and, and trusted advisors. I mean, there's a lot of these folks that it's not just a business relationship where they know my family and I know theirs. And I think our co-op model probably helps promote those types of relationships. And we just couldn't be more blessed to, to be where we're at and represent the growers that we do. Yeah. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about that model because I, I know we talk about it on this podcast that a lot of innovation, you know, family and hard work that goes into blueberry farming in this, in this industry. And I just thought, you know, the, the co-op is something that, you know, isn't unique to agriculture, but does kind of create some unique opportunities. Certainly co-op represents grower owned. So maybe you could talk a little bit for those who aren't familiar with MBG, a little background on the co-op itself how it operates, you know, your role and overview of kind of like what it looks like today from a co-op standpoint. Sure. And a lot of, in a lot of places, uh, the co-op can be a bad word, a four letter word. I've heard some folks describe it as, but the reality is it's a really unique way to go to market for agricultural producers in particular. I think there's a misconception that it's a a not-for-profit or you know, maybe we're not in it at the same level as some other for-profit companies, and that couldn't be further from the truth. We're absolutely a for-profit entity. We pass all of our profits back through to our member owners in the form of patronage proceeds when we sell their fruit and net the cost against that. But we also have other revenue streams outside of our member-based patronage activity that are meaningful, that allow us to 
enhance the overall return back to the farm for our our member owners. And I think that's important that folks understand that, you know, co-op doesn't necessarily mean, uh, in fact, I'll tell you anecdotally, one of our former board members within a few months of me coming on board, he said, well, you know, we're just a sleepy old co-op. Nobody pays us a whole lot of attention. You'll, you won't have to work very hard here. And I thought, well, okay, this, you know, I wonder what this is all about. But it was tongue in cheek, obviously. It's been the most challenging journey that I've been on professionally. I can't tell you how many times we've traveled all over the world, but particularly here throughout the United States where it's two o'clock in the morning to make it to the airport for a 5 a.m. flight and be gone for four or five days and take the red eye back and get home at, at midnight or later. And, you know, there's been a lot of 70 and 80 hour plus weeks throughout the years. And I'm not the only one. We've got an entire team that's dedicated to that level. And that's how we service our, our members in all of these various regions. We are headquartered in Michigan, but we're very much a an international company. And, you know, that, that requires a lot of commitment. But our model is unique and it's not for everyone. You know, some folks have different over underlying investment or strategic objectives with their ag investments. But generally speaking, our membership is made up of family farms. And we've got a lot of second, third, fourth, even fifth generation growers in our network, uh, some who who have been in the co-op since the initial founding in 1936. We've got a board member today within a mile of our office who's grower number 11. He was His family is one of the original 13 and others in and around the area, you know, industry leaders that I had the, the privilege of, of getting to know, like a Ron Bodke at Cornerstone Ag Enterprises or Ed Bocock at New Day Farms or Big George Fritz at Brookside Farms. I mean, these guys, and I could go on, I, I don't want to live in the past, but these guys really built our, our business at MBG and frankly, we're pioneers in the industry. And so that legacy is what we try to honor every day as we go to market on behalf of our growers. And I think we do a pretty good job. Yeah. Well, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Maybe take a bit of a deep dive into the state of the industry from your perspective. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what vision you have for the future of MBG. But before we do, let's take a quick break for our crop report. The North American season is well underway. And as we get further into the summer period, we're welcoming more and more regions onto this report. So here, once again, is your Blueberry Crop Report. It's time for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Doug Kramer in Oregon, Mario Ramirez in Mexico, and Jason Smith in British Columbia. This was recorded on August 3rd, 2022. Hey, this is Doug Kramer from Oregon, and we got a much cooler week this week. Certainly, we had our share of heat last week, gave us some challenges keeping the fruit cool and keeping quality up. But this week looks cool. I think we're going to be getting deep into the middle of our mid-season varieties, and we should have some good quality going out on the market. So right now we're in the middle of the mid-seasons. The late seasons with the heat we had last week are coming on fast, and we'll probably be into them, if not late this week, 
certainly next week we'll be into the later season varieties. The season seems to be somewhat condensed, still a result of the cool spring we had. And so everybody's busy trying to keep up with the ripening fruit. Hi, everyone. Here is Mario with the Mexican Bluegrass Report for the week from July 24 to July 30. As you may know, we are beginning a new season, and this is our second week of, the, of this new season. The Mexico export volume of fresh continue, continue low, and this week in, in the calendar is the 30 week. We exported a total of 141 pounds to the United States, and from all the world, it was 146,000 pounds. There are no exportation of, or, of organic blueberries reported. In frozen blueberries, Mexico exported a total of 60,000 pounds, and it is a decrease of 4, 4% compared to previous week. And in weather, we have high temperatures in, in North Mexico and heavy rains in Central Mexico that are making it a bit hard to work on the new plantations, but there are no affectations reported. I want to take the chance to tell you about our 12th Congress that was the, the last week. Uh, it was for us an extraordinary success because we have around 2,000 attendants from all producer regions and 160 commercial booths. It was two days full of conference. We have a welcome cocktail and an opening ceremony with the national agricultural authorities. Later this month, the conference will be available in our YouTube channel, Anaveris MX. And at least uh, for, for last day, I want to extend the invitation to all the USA producers to see us in, in 2023. Okay, uh, my name is Jason Smith. I'm reporting for uh, British Columbia. Last week, we had a, had a bit of a heat wave. I know uh, Washington and Oregon had it as well, and, and it seemed to really push our crop along. You know, the extended period of hot, dry weather uh, likely had a bit of an impact on the sizing of the berries. Quality still seems to be good, um, but there's been some like sun scald on, on some of the fruit, not lots, but I guess a bit here and there, depending where you're, where you're located. And we're actually going to get a couple showers later today and, and tomorrow morning. And, and the temperatures are quite refreshing now compared to last week. So we've seen a bit of a decrease in, in aphid levels, but uh, an upswing in uh, SWD levels. And so growers are just, you know, managing it, monitoring and managing it as, as needed. We're kind of in the peak of our Duke harvest right now, I would say. Some other varieties such as Rika are being harvested and, and a bit of blue crop as well. The Dukes kind of being in peak harvest, there, there's been high volumes coming in and they're expected for the next week or two. Most varieties, there is some blue fruit on now, but, uh, you know, Elliot and Aurora are just kind of showing the odd blue berry at this point. 
you know, the previous numbers that we were at for our, our yields, uh, I think we're we're going to stay there. I think uh, there's been a bit of a surprise that things may not uh, have been impacted quite as much, uh, which is which is a good thing for the uh, for the growers and stuff. So um, we're just going to continue to stick around uh, 150 million right now, and uh, that's my uh, my comments for today. Well, thanks so much to our busy growers who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our data and insight center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry. We've added a lot more features to this dashboard, including USDA shipping price and movement, the retail category performance, Nielsen monthly retail sales report, and much, much more. So make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. So Brad, we were just talking there about where things are going as the industry. And I think before we do that, I do want to spend a little time just understanding from your perspective, you know, we talked about genetics as being important to you, but what are some of the big priorities for you in this role now that you see the future ahead? What are you seeing, you know, as president of MBG, as the next evolution of the co-op? And and maybe we can start off by just answering the question, is MBG growing? I mean, are you seeing member growth and how do you measure growth at MBG? Is it by volume, by dollar sales? Is it by grower number? What, where are the priorities? That's a great question. And, and actually, you know, we, we monitor all three of those metrics, obviously. Yes, we are growing. We, we saw really explosive growth in terms of both membership and volume from about 2010 to about 2015, 2016, perhaps. And then it started to moderate a little bit. There were a lot of berries in the southeast, particularly planted in that time frame that came into mature production. And as an organization, our annual tonnage just about doubled during that time period. And so growth has moderated a little bit, but we're certainly still growing. There's no doubt about it. I will say that there has been some consolidation in the industry, whether it's been just farm economics or demographics, where you've got folks that are are retiring and, and leaving the industry altogether that maybe don't have another generation that's coming up. So with increased regulatory compliance requirements, obviously offshore competition has been another factor there. So when you look at total number of growers, and this is by design, um, we have seen a reduction in the total number of growers, but our annual sales and tonnage continues to increase, but perhaps not quite at the rate that it did maybe five or six years ago. And maybe a bit of a description of who is the MBG member? So if you're somebody who's in the business, how does it work to become a member? Are you, are you recruiting members? Are people knocking on your door? How does one become an MBG member? Oh, gosh. I think in the last two years, we've probably turned down 25 members for every one we've accepted, or prospective members, I would say. So we have a committee, a membership committee that's made up of uh, five or six of our, our key folks at MBG. And uh, every year, we take applications from growers in all all of our regions. And you said you're a global company. I mean, where do you get these applications from? Are they coming from all over the world? Could you have a MBG member from Europe? We've had a few international or European uh, applications. We have not expanded 
to Europe uh, from a production standpoint yet. Our partners at Hortifruit have uh, very extensive production assets in Europe and North Africa. And so as we service European markets, uh, we export some from the East Coast of the United States with our U.S.-based membership. But what we don't handle there, our Naturite partners have assets in theater in, in Europe. But, you know, I guess I would say that this past year, we only accepted one new member in the state of Georgia, and I bet we had 40 applications there alone. Similar story in some of our, our other regions. So it is very selective. We're laser-focused on grower profitability. There's a lot of different components to what that looks like, obviously. I mean, the, the price that you're getting for your berries in the market is only one factor in that overall equation. You know, there's things like yield that make a tremendous difference from one farm to the next. And we have a horticulture team at MBG of blueberry industry experts that focus on uh, plant health, fruit quality, you know, fruit yields, all of those things that are important on the hort side of the business. And so what we're really looking for, first and foremost, is a producer, a, a prospective member that understands and appreciates the co-op model. We pool all of our fruit. So you know, there may be 75 growers in a particular pool and there may be a quality issue at one or two places. We'll have a marketplace rejection. And of course, that gets spread across the entire pool. So it's kind of all for one, one for all in that sense. And I think some growers like that mentality and the quote unquote protection of the pool. It's like an insurance policy, if you will. And then there's others that are fiercely independent and say, no, 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 no. I've got my quality is superior to everyone else's. I don't want my fruit pool because I know it's going to stand out in the marketplace and I'm willing to take that marketing strategy approach. And so not everybody's a good fit. So first and foremost, that's what we're looking for is growers that are the right fit, that have the right horticultural practices, that are well capitalized, that are full-time professional growers that are going to be in the industry. You know, we, we've had some folks come in and make a big splash and like any industry, you know, we've seen some things that we kind of furled our eyebrow and scratched our head a little bit, like wonder what they're thinking. And four or five, six years later, they were gone and you realize, well, <laughs> maybe they weren't thinking <laughs> they, they weren't making such good decisions. And so we obviously try to steer clear of that. There's been a lot of that over the last 10 years uh, with the outside money coming into our industry. That's not necessarily family farms, and some have done very, very well. Don't get me. And and frankly, we work with a fair amount of those. So I'm not I'm not suggesting that that's not a good business model. But overwhelmingly, our growers and and prospective members that we're looking to grow with are are family farmers that understand the farming mentality, the lifestyle, the challenges that that a grower faces, and really they're just looking to produce the best quality crop that they can year in year out and preserve their way of life for the next generation. And those are the values that we hold dear at MBG and at Nature Ripe. And so anyone whose value system aligns with that is probably going to be a good fit for us. So that's how we look at at membership and, and you know, sales growth and how we want to fit into the industry. Well, and I think you're coming at this, you know, Larry Ensfield, uh, having recently retired, I think you kind of described a culture at MBG that really didn't self-promote. Like you said, it's a little bit about the MBG DNA. And I think, you know, as you take over, what do you see being different going forward with Brad as the CEO? 
Gosh, Larry did so many things well that they're really tough, tough footsteps to follow in. But I guess I would say that over the last four or five years here in the United States, whether you're in the Southeast or in the Midwest, the Pacific Northwest, there's been a lot of global competition. I mean, we all know what has happened in Peru and in Mexico with imported fruit, and there was a an international trade commission, ITC, USTA trade rep, opened a unfair trade practices case. That didn't go in the favor of the U.S. grower. And so, you know, there may have been a period of time throughout our network where folks thought, well, you know, there's just no future here. We can't compete with these guys. They've got superior genetics. Their cost structure's lower. Our government isn't going to do anything. They're not going to lift a finger to help us. They're just going to run over us with this cheap fruit that we can't compete with. And so, you know, I, I feel like there was a a sense of despair, certainly, in the industry over the last four or five years. And actually, I, I'm starting to see a little bit of sunshine breaking through the clouds here with uh, what we're seeing this year in the marketplace, it's been our experience, and you know we don't sit down with retailers and have this conversation, and if we did, I, I probably wouldn't share it in this forum anyway, but it's been our experience that all things being equal, the U.S. consumer prefers U.S.-grown food. We actually see a premium for uh, U.S.-based production in, in all of our commodities and markets, and you know, the feedback is all things being equal, that's what we want to do, but they have to be equal. The quality's got to be comparable. And that's why when I mentioned earlier genetics, I just cannot overstate the importance of, you know, here in Michigan, for example, it's a 10 week season typically. And, you know, you get to the end of the season and the Peruvian berries really start to hit earlier and earlier. It's been mid-July throughout the month of August, and that has traditionally been the best part of the market for a Michigan grower. If the fruit that they're bringing in is superior quality, the consumer is going to recognize that, and that's how they're going to make their buying decisions. But if we can give the consumer an alternative that is the same or better quality in terms of flavor and size and firmness and texture and all of the attributes that we believe a consumer makes buying decisions based on price is really the it's one of the last pieces of that equation and so you know we never want to own price we want to own quality and we want to I used the term earlier delight the consumer if we can do that then there's a place for producers here in the United States now and well into the future and that's the message that I think that we need to get out there to folks is Look, don't tell me you can't plant another 50 acres because you don't know what's going to happen in the global competitive landscape that Peru is going to put you out of business. The reality is you can't afford not to plant 50 acres of some of these newer genetics because that's what's going to keep you in business, quite frankly. On a lot of these newer berries that we're seeing, the yields are superior. The economics in, in, in every case are superior to what we've seen previously in the market. And it's going to be transformational for the, the industry here. And I think if there were any one thing that I'd like to do in my role here and as steward of the business at, at MBG and NatureIpe is to let folks know that there is hope. We were down, but we're not out. We've got a lot of fight left in us. And there's 
a space in the global marketplace for all of us, and we need to carve that niche out. And if we can do that with superior quality and better genetics, we're going to be here now and well into the future. Yeah. You know, we're wrapping it up here, and I really appreciate this opportunity to sit down with you here in Michigan and uh, talk a little bit about, you know, what's going on with MBG. Obviously, we're out here for a big food service event for us, the Blueberry Experience, and been a great opportunity to kind of tour Michigan, tour those blueberry farms. We got to take a sample of production, walk through some packing houses, process, watch the fresh, gave these chefs a, a real, you know, kind of front row seat to what it means to be a part of the blueberry business. And what I certainly appreciated about us hosting this inaugural event here in Michigan is, again, just the culture that you have out here, the sense of pride and family and those values that you're describing that make up the effort that it takes to put these blueberries into the marketplace. And, uh, you know, it's something that we're committed to at USHBC, you know, the food service channel is something that, you know, we really need to develop. It's underdeveloped as part of our commodity it's part of our strategic plan going forward. But, you know, from your perspective, as you take over seat of the largest co-op in the blueberry industry, what thoughts do you have about what USHBC could be doing to better support your efforts? We talked a little bit there about, you know, the way in which the marketing might be changing to to help address leadership. But how do you see engaging with our program and, and what do you see we could be doing to help drive the category further faster? That's a great, great question. One that I, I probably need to give some more thought to. But I, what I can say right off the top of my head is that the industry would not be what it is today without the foresight that the the folks that came before us had when they created USHBC and ABC. The way that consumption has increased in our category over the years, and the funding that has been provided by blueberry growers. This just would not be the industry that it is today without those efforts. And so I was very humbled to see the the referendum. I think it was just last year that passed at a record high percentage of the vote in the affirmative. And so certainly as an organization, MBG and its members support the USHBC and all of the efforts. Your leadership, Casey, has has been uh, wonderful. We're, we're proud to partner with you guys on things like what this behind the blueberry experience this week in Michigan and uh, you know, throughout the year and in other events, the the spring and fall meetings, we have a, a large number of our MBG growers and or staff that participate at the committee level throughout USHBC. And we're very grateful for those opportunities to continue to be a, a leading voice in the industry. Really can't understate or rather overstate the importance of USHBC and NABC and what they're doing to promote the industry and the commodity. And I look at some of the other industry associations and the success that they've had. I mean, it seems to me like the one thing we could do as a group is give you guys more money. I mean, <laughs> I think you were out here last year uh, on the, the stump circuit in Michigan, kind of drumming up support for the referendum and, Somebody said something about, well, what about the avocado guys and the commercial they have every year and what it does for avocado consumption during that time period? And it's just off the charts. I mean, folks like you that have the data behind that, I mean, you know what the the levels of funding that it takes to really take things to the next level. And as I said earlier, it's kind of been tight the last four or five years, particularly in our industry. 
but I think as, as, you know, hopefully things can loosen up a little bit and we can get the space that we need to fund USHBC properly. And, you know, I think from the health halo and, and the commodity, the benefit of the blueberry itself, it really almost sells itself. The only thing that keeps us from selling even more berries is reaching more of the target audience with our message and, and, and talking about the health halo and the flavor profiles that we have. And, you know, if you had more money, more resources, more channels to reach those potential consumers, I just think the mission of the USHBC is so critical and so important that we'll continue to be avid supporters now and into the future. I have to agree. And just in the sort of runway experience that I've had, just getting to understand the industry more, what, what's been accomplished and kind of like you described the shoulders we're standing on that had the vision for what more was going to be able to be accomplished. And much like MBG, you know, USHBC operates a lot like a co-op. Uh, you know, we only go forward if the growers say we do, and we only go into the places that, you know, they want to see us move to. And I think that opportunity to share our playbook as you look at what's been accomplished here in the U.S. market with what this industry and these leaders have done to date, replicating around the world uh, really does create a lot of promise for this industry globally and certainly the role that USHBC can provide in terms of leadership. So I'm looking forward to working with you and your role, your organization, your members, you know, certainly have been big part of our success to date and uh, look forward to helping ensure that promise going forward from here. Yeah, thank you. And and I, I tell our growers at the conclusion of every meeting that we have, you know, our, our best days are not behind us, they're in front of us in this industry. And I really, I genuinely believe that I wouldn't have accepted this challenge in, in this new role if I wasn't 110% convinced of that. There's no doubt that we've got some exciting, we have challenges like any other industry, we've got some really exciting solutions to those challenges that are that are here today, that are not five years out, they're not 10 years out. We have, we have solutions today that uh, can help our growers remain not only competitive, but I believe ultimately uh, win the competitive landscape against some of these other regions and uh, varieties. There's all blueberry consumption is good consumption, but at the end of the day, we represent family farms and that's what we're here for. That's my mission and, and the entire team at MBG, our mission every day is we're laser focused on grower profitability and putting the customer first in that equation. And if we do that, we're going to be successful. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure to sit down with you. Uh, we'll do this again. You know, we'll be picking your brain some more. So get ready for the next one of these and just looking forward to uh, participating in your tenure in this new role and, and excited about that future as well. So that's it for episode 108. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries.